Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach. Always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I'm married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as mm-hmm. soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online, and, and I'm in a different part of the country. I, I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough, and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then, and you're re- Reenacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? I got an interesting email this week. He said, You know, Carol, I've got to ask you, what do I do if my wife doesn't respond to the techniques in your book? I'm not kidding you. Not only does she not respond, But she tells me that I am just doing the formula. I'm just reading the script. And she's sick of my insincerity. Please help. Okay, well, what I know to be true is that um, you need to keep doing it anyway. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. You know, there are no guarantees in life. And I have never said that if you use my techniques... And absolutely, indubitably, undoubtedly will help. But I will tell you that I've worked with thousands of men, and in most cases, it definitely helps. It increases authenticity, transparency, and putting somebody else first. And we all know that addicts can be selfish. They can think of themselves first. And that people around them figure it out. They know that this is your mode of operandi. Now, there's no doubt in my mind that when you're in recovery, you are doing it differently. And that's what I tell the partners that I work with. I say, give him or her a chance. They are doing things differently. And you've got to be able to assess it objectively. But that can be really tough because when a partner has been betrayed, she doesn't want to get duped again. She doesn't want to believe it. And if she starts to believe it, it's even scarier because 
that increases the stakes that she'll get hurt even more if she believes it and then you're not true to form. So I always say do the next right thing. And I ask every addict, whether whether they're in a relationship or not, I say, please, ask yourself two questions. Does it move you closer to recovery? Or does it move you further away? And if it's closer to recovery, you're doing the next right thing. And what I believe is that the universe will reward you. Your higher power will reward you. It may not mean that it saves the marriage, but it means that it instills a little bit of integrity when there was no integrity before. Or it means that you're a better person than the next person that you end up with. Or it means that you like yourself better than you would have liked yourself had you stayed self-absorbed, self-interested, and or selfish. Okay, now I want to ask, how are you doing during COVID? I mean, so many of you are cooped up in this, you know, in the situation where you've got family, you've got your spouse, and there's a lot of tension. Or the opposite, you're all by yourself and you're lonely. I was telling someone today, actually I think it was a partner, and I said, you know, the two contributing factors, this is what I promise you, sex addicts, when you look at all the possible triggers and contributing factors to wanting to act out, the two number one choices are, I wish my husband were here, he'd do a drum roll, are loneliness and boredom. Now, I don't know about you, but I have been facing some loneliness and boredom. Oh, yeah. And plenty to do. But I I love hanging out with my friends, being with my family, being in social situations, and that just is not happening. So I am automatically more bored and lonely than I've ever been before in my life. Now, the good news is, that when you got good self-esteem and you got good coping skills, you still find things to do to occupy your time. Instead of exercising once a day, I'm exercising two or three times a day. Don't call me an exercise-holic. I'm not. But I want to be out in that fresh air. I want to walk once with my husband. I want to walk with my uh, dog. I want to work out with weights. I want a paddleboard. I want to do whatever it takes. And because I'm one of the lucky ones that get to work, and I'm working harder than I've ever worked before, and you all remember, I'm supposed to be leaning into retirement, right? Not even a chance. I mean, I said in May I would stop working on Fridays, Saturdays, and Mondays. Fast forward to COVID. I am working all day Friday, all day Monday, and longer hours on Saturday. 
shame on me, but not really. This is an exceptional, extraordinary situation that requires extreme measures. Um, But because I'm working and because I'm bringing in money, what am I doing? Well, I'm looking for other ways to play because play is so important to my mental health. Now, you men and women who are sex addicts, you know what play used to represent. Play meant I'm going to look for the next best thing. Sometimes that was the addiction. Wondering what was out there that you hadn't seen, hadn't experienced, and you went searching. And the search was the addiction. Well, for me, my positive and healthy compulsion is that I want to experience more things to do out in nature that are healthy, happy, and fun. So many of you know I paddleboard. I've actually got four paddleboards. Well, I bought a pedalboard. Some of you that don't know, a pedalboard is it's kind of a weird thing. I can't even believe it's going to help me with exercise, but I think it's just going to be fun. And it is where you stand on pedals and you move your board because you pedal. But it's not a pedal like a bicycle. It's like a pedal like a Stairmaster. Well, it's not the new Stairmaster. It's the old Stairmaster where you just went up and down with each foot. And then the, the steering is not with paddles. It's like a bike. You steer your pedal board like a bike. And I'm going to be really open with you. I saw this thing two years ago, and I wanted it. I wanted it bad. And I got on the Internet, and I saw that it was $2,000. And I said, that is just a fiberglass board, (laughs) bicycle handle. I'm not doing it. I'm waiting for it to go down. Fast forward three years later, It has not dropped one bit, not one ounce in price. Well, okay, the board I bought was $18.99. But I said, I am doing this. Why? Because I'm working harder than ever, and I need extra stimulation in a healthy way, right? And so if you aren't working, you probably can't do healthy stimulation that costs money, but you can certainly decide that you're going to, um, I want to I speak to you about something that is not going to trigger another addiction. If I were to tell you, hey, play bridge or poker, that might trigger another addiction. If I said, hey, get online and, and go for free games, that might trigger a new addiction. So I might say, okay, what I want you to do is I want you to swim. Or what I might ask you to do is to find as many workouts as you can that involve absolutely no equipment and totally your body weight. Or I might say, you know what, I bet you have a story inside of you. And you could write a book, a memoir, if you were, were to do so, and help other people that are in recovery. Or I might say, hey, you know, 
is there something you can do that's creative? Today I got from a woman in Australia, I got a mask that she made me. And um, one of the things I loved about this mask, because I have a friend that made me several masks, and they're beautiful, but they go around your ears and they do bug you. Her masks have two um, ties, and I have a feeling this is going to be a mask I really love. So, okay, what can you do that's not? What can you do that you want to do? What online course can you take that's free if you don't have any money? And by the way, if you do have money and you are a, a man that wants to improve your relationship with your wife, get my course. Go to www.sexhelpwithcurelthecoach and buy that Help Her Heal course. It's like being with me. And instead of paying, oh, I'm not allowed to, I'm not allowed to tell you how much I cost. Instead of paying for two hours with me, get the doggone course and the, the 30 hours worth of material and, and learn what you need to learn and have it forever and go over it and just really be an empathetic man or woman to help your partner heal. And if you're a partner... I'm here to tell you, I got a course for you because it's on post-traumatic growth. It's on knowing where you shine, what is happening about you, that, that there's strengths that are inherent in your life. But the matter is, there are lots of ways to make your life different. And I got to tell you, tonight, I'm going to be interviewing Veronica Valley who is the creator of the Soberful program. She actually has the five pillars of sustainable sobriety, and she's going to be talking about how these five pillars, which include movement, connection, balance, process, and growth, can help strengthen your recovery program and keep you sober, helping you to feel good about yourself. Now, she believes this applies to any addiction. And tonight when I was talking to my group, at least five out of the ten group members had multiple addictions. It wasn't just sex addiction. wasn't just alcoholism. It wasn't just drug addiction. It was at least one, two, or three of the addictions, also to include gambling, overeating, Um, workaholism, I know that tonight what Valerie has to teach us is going to be helpful for anybody who's listening to the show. So I'm just super excited to have her because she's got a whole platform that she teaches from, and I want to hear much more about it. So Valerie, welcome to Sex Help with Carol the Coach. Hi, Carol. It's actually Veronica, but it's a, it's a common mistake. People call me Valerie a lot. Oh, my goodness. Well, Veronica, thank you for being a part of this because I'm telling you, I have heard so many incredible things about your platform. Tell us about it. Thank you. So, so Soberful is, um, I came up with Soberful a few years ago. 
Um, it's uh-huh. really um, it's a program and it's a community. And uh, I I just I've worked with a lot of people who are looking to quit alcohol, and um, they're not ready or 12-step programs aren't appropriate for them, but they need a, a solid program to really help them, mm-hmm. um, you know, because uh, we know it's not any addiction, it's not the, the substance or the behavior is not the issue, it's what's underneath that. So it's a program to really get to what's underneath um, an alcohol problem, really. And so tell us a little bit about how you developed this program. So because um, what I saw was a lot of people were um, stopping drinking and really liking how that felt, but a few months into it didn't understand why they were feeling so lost, so empty inside, uh, still had a lot of FOMO, the fear of missing out, you know, still kind of like, you know, looking at alcohol as the best way to have fun and, and weren't moving forward. So I came up with the five pillars of sustainable sobriety, which are um, movement, uh, connection, balance, process, and growth. And the way that it works is, um, and this is for really, it's really personal development for sober people. It's, It's really what all of us have to do. Once we have these five pillars in place, it holds up our sobriety because we can't just stop drinking and expect to be okay because when someone's been drinking um, and abusing alcohol, um, you know, there's a whole lot of emotional issues that come along with that. So the pillars are really designed to um, help us get sober, stay sober, and we want sobriety that we don't have to think about. You know, we just want to live our lives. We want to become the best version of ourselves. We want to be able to deal with our feelings and emotions and all of the stuff that that happens to us. And, uh, you know, when we have the five pillars in place in our life, we're able to do that. So should I talk you through each one in a bit more detail? I would love for you to talk about each one of them in detail because each one of them are certainly essential to feeling good about yourself and your own recovery and moving you forward. Yeah, so it's interesting. I was researching this today because I'm I'm writing a book uh, based on the five pillars. But so the first pillar is movement, and and really that works in two, on two levels. So the first number one thing is exercise is the best way to take care of our mental health. So when we exercise, we know we get a dopamine kick, and that helps us feel better. But I, I you know, the stuff that I'm finding out about how exercise affects the brain is really quite incredible. So when we have a substance use uh, problem, and we put you know chemicals into our bodies, and they they activate in our brains. We are replacing feel good chemicals with artificial chemicals, and our brains respond to that, and they respond to it in, in various different ways. And one of the ways that it responds is it closes down a lot of the dopamine receptor sites. So not only are we affecting our dopamine levels, which is our you know how we just feel all right and happy and that kind of stuff. We're also closing down the receptor sites so that we don't have enough receptor sites for any dopamine that we are making. So when we exercise, not only do we get does it do our, our bodies and our brains really like the chemicals that are naturally produced through exercise, what also happens is the brain starts making uh, opening up these receptor sites that have been damaged through our substance abuse. 
So um, it starts really responding to this, this nice uh, organic way of making the feel-good chemi chemicals, and it actually repairs our brains. So um, movement is, is just, it's this, an essential part of any recovery program, and it's one of my non-negotiables non when I take on a client. They have to be um, exercising because it's simply the best treatment for our mental health. And, you know, if, if, you're, if that's something that, you know, lots of people exercise and that's not a problem, but if, if that's something that you're really stuck in, we start with a 30-minute walk a day. That's, you know, it's not about, it's not about fitness, it's about movement, and, and those are two different things. Of course, fit, fitness is the end goal, and that's wonderful, but we want the chemical kick that movement brings us. Now, movement also works as we're looking at um, the direction our lives are going in. So we're looking at being more purposeful about where we're going because alcohol and, and drug abuse can really derail us. And we're just responding to trying to deal with our feelings, uh, just responding to our circumstances, and we're not really in control in the direction of our lives. And, you know, for you know, all of us have to, to, in some respects, respond to the circumstances of our lives. We're recording this right now in the middle of COVID-19. There's so much that's out of our control. However, we can choose our response to, to what's happening to us. We don't get to choose the circumstances always, but we get to choose our response. So um, uh, movement is really about being purposeful about our response to our environment. What kind of person do we want to be? Where do we see ourselves in five years? What are our goals? What are the steps to achieving our goals? So it's about really being get, getting clarity on our vision. What is our personal vision? So instead of just, you know, being like little boats on the ocean with no anchor, it's about really uh, in, engaging our engine and going in the direction that we want to go in. So that's movement. Uh, the second one is connection. So we all need to have meaningful connection in our lives. That's essential to human beings as food, water, and air is. Now, we know that about small babies, about infants, that they need to be uh, attached to their primary caregiver. But we actually need attachment throughout whatever stage of life we're in. And what happens when we abuse alcohol and drugs is we, we become very disconnected from people. Uh, we become disconnected from ourselves. And we often present a kind of um, false front. You know, we don't really show up. in you know, Our insides and our outsides don't match. So sobriety is really about um, congruence. It's about our insides and our outsides matching so that we can have meaningful connection with people. Now, that's not going to be every single person we meet. But I always say we need just a small handful of people who really know our souls, who can really see who we are. Um, and, of course, there's only one pathway to connection, and that's through vulnerability. So it's learning that vulnerability is a strength. It's learning how and when's appropriate to be vulnerable and, and really mm -hmm. using it really using it as a way to build connection and really be seen. Um, now let me ask you something sure. because I know, you know, you're talking about connection and you're talking about uh. vulnerability and so many of the addicts I work with, no matter what their addiction, they've had these dual lives where they've never showed that vulnerable side. They've never been honest, open, transparent enough. How do you help them to act that part of themselves that they don't even know. Yeah, and it's uh, all of this is is 
you know, it, it's like peeling off the layers of an onion. It doesn't all happen on day three of sobriety. Um, I think the first thing is really um, introducing the idea that, because that, I think we're very conditioned in our culture and in lots of families as well, that vulnerability is a weakness. Um, I really draw on Brené, Dr. Brené Brown's work around vulnerability and how it's actually a strength. And it's really creating a safe environment so people can begin to take just little risks in revealing themselves to themselves. I had this on a group call actually last week. I had a lady actually email me. Um, I, in my subscription group, I have, I, I do, there's almost daily support groups. And I had a lady email me say she just joined. She really liked it, but she was really shy and she was just going to listen. And I said, are you going to be on the call later today? And she said, yeah. And she was on the call and she had a video on. And I, I kind of gently said to her, you know, Joanna, would you, would you like to just introduce yourself and say hi? And she was like, yeah. And she said, uh, you know, she introduced herself and she said, I'm really shy, and, but I'm really glad I'm here. And then she kind of just went on and told us a little bit about herself. And I was like, wow, you did it. You, you actually came forward and, and she was like, oh, my God, that felt really, that was much easier than I thought. And it's just little things like that. It's, you know, creating that safe space so people can just begin to step forward and be known and be seen and, and all of that kind of stuff. And, and I, therapy online, I found it to be just as effective in person. And I think that it, it helps a lot of people. It feels easier to start there in some ways than in a room with people because you know if they can do it online in a group then maybe then they can do it in in a group or with on one-on-one or, or that kind of thing so it's baby steps really yeah exactly and that is the beautiful thing about online and through platforms where people meet um, and you are an expert at creating those communities for connection so before we move to the next pillar Talk a little bit about your platform and what you've got going on, especially for women. But I heard that, you know, you're directing some things to men, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, so for Life is a, is a su- subscription group. It's a, it's a low cost. It's like $23.99 a month. Um, it's a private community. It's not on Facebook or anything like that. And when people join, they get to be part of a community of people who are dedicating their lives to being alcohol-free. Um, we have uh, lots of workshops. We have workshops. We have a big library of workshops. So really, you know, depending on whatever you're struggling with, uh, there'll be a workshop uh, that you can access. You know, relationships, food issues, build, rebuilding trust, boundaries, whatever it is. And then we do um, regular support groups for our members as well. So we really kind of upped the frequency of when we held support groups during the the lockdown because so many people had their support just kind of freeze and and you know disappear so uh, our support groups were hosted you know my team I employ the uh, I'm a clinical psychotherapist and I have another clinical psychotherapist that I that that, uh, facilitates groups we have an addictions therapist so they're all very well qualified people who who can you know uh, so it's it's a very different experience than peer-led support groups, which are awesome, um, but it, these are professionally-led support groups, so people can get some really laser-focused um, connection um, and, you know, uh, support with whatever they're going through. Okay, now, I already messed up your name the first time. It's Veronica, is it Valley or? Veronica Valley. Valley. Yeah, V-A, and then Frankie Valley. 
I got it. And so your program, obviously you have several different websites and programs, but if somebody Googled Sober Full Program, would they find you? Um. Yes, if you go to if you Google so well, I have two sites. If you Google sober full, I have a podcast. So uh, there is lots of podcast episodes. Um, they can if they sign up for my email list, I, I send them a copy of the sober full program, the five pillars of sustainable sobriety. And then every so often we open enrollment to the sub- subscription group. So um, if they're interested in joining that, they just need to join the wait list. And when enrollment opens, they can join the subscription group. I also have, um, uh, you know, coaching programs that I do for for people as well, small groups. Yeah, you know, you are changing the narrative on sobriety. And with your 20 years of recovery, um, you have helped thousands of people transform their lives. Now, you wrote a book called Why You Drink and How to Stop, Get uh-huh. Sober, Get Free, and you have this Soberful podcast. How can they find that podcast? Um, it's on iTunes. It's on Spotify. Spotify. I think if you just have Alexa, you can just say uh, play the Soberful podcast. Um, but you can go to Soberful.com and you can just listen to it there as well. That is wonderful, and definitely you teach people that alcohol, drugs, sex, they're not the problem. It's only a symptom of a deeper underlying problem, and you want to teach people how to get authentic and to reveal themselves, and that's where I stopped you when you were talking about connection and being authentic and really being vulnerable. So that third pillar, that comes next. I mean, that seems like that's a really important pillar. And I wondered if you would talk a little bit more about that. About balance. Exactly. Yeah. So I always have this saying, whatever um, the question, balance is always the answer. Um, And it's really about, first of all, understanding our needs and balancing our different needs. And and this is really a lifelong process. It's a practice. Balance is a practice. So initially, when people first get sober, um, it's learning. You know, I often find people are so cut off from their bodies. They've they're just you know, alcohol and drugs have just they they don't know how they feel. So it's about listening to your body and listening to what it wants. And you know the halts, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, stressed. Any of those things or combination of those things can be a trigger to to drink. So we've got to balance our needs. We all have different needs. We have health needs. We have mental health needs. We have spiritual needs. We have career needs, career and education. We have family needs. We have social life needs. And what, what happens is as we go along in our lives, our circumstances change and we get out of balance. Now, we can tell when we're out of balance. We feel uncomfortable in our own skin. When we start feeling uncomfortable in our own skin and out of sorts, our brains start thinking about how can we change, how can I change this? How can I change this un- uncomfortable feeling? So instead of reaching for a substance, we want to balance our needs. So when I was, before I had kids and I was married, I had lots of time for exercise, lots of time for personal development, work was very busy, social life was very busy. 
but you know I really wanted to have a family and settle down and and so I did and then I had kids and then I had no time for exercise and no time for personal development and was not getting enough sleep so our circumstances will constantly change and you know we we have to um, balance getting enough rest and getting self-care so we can be a good parent and what that looks like one week will be different next week so I always you know ask get people to think about what their red flags are and and you know stress is a big one being tired is another and and just stop and look at what they can change so what little shifts, what little changes can you make so you begin to feel comfortable in your own skin again? So balance is a lifelong art. It's something that we practice forever. You know, uh, just because I've got really good balance today doesn't mean I'll have it next year because things will be different. You know, we, we found that when we went into the lockdown, that th- it threw a lot of us out of balance. I um, When the lockdown started, you know, the first couple of days, it was like, it was like a Sunday and then another Sunday, you know, nobody was getting dressed till lunchtime. And, and on the third day, I was like, this is, can't, we can't do this. This is, this is not going to work. I just feel out of balance. So I, I set a goal to make sure that everybody was up and dressed and teeth were brushed and by 9 a.m. And um, because it just made me feel more imbalanced, that we just had some, felt a bit more productive Monday to Friday. And then weekends, we could change things up a bit so just so we could have a bit, you know, if things could feel a bit different. So we're always responding to our environment by checking our balance. And, you know, it's interesting because you talk about balance in that way, and I'm always asking the addicts that I work with to look at, you know, their balance from six specific areas, the social, Mm. the spiritual, the purposeful, the intellectual, physical, and emotional. And I find whenever I'm doing work with addicts, no matter what the addiction, emotional is really, really tough. It's difficult for addicts to know their feelings. So that balance is so important by first starting out and assessing, what do I feel? How am I doing emotionally? And then, of course, figuring out how to put more of that into your life. And I know that you have lots of ways to help addicts of any type um, create more balance in their life. So can you say a little bit about that? Yeah, it, it's just, it's, a, it's really, um, it's a constant, and it's not, it's not like a constant effort, like you have to think about it all the time. But for me, I, I, it's really about getting back into your body. You know, it's really about listening to what your body, what your emotions are saying. It's about developing emotional sobriety, uh, knowing when you feel run down, when you uh, feel, um, you know, when you're, you you need to recharge your batteries. And, and it's really, uh, it, I mean, all of the, the pillars kind of work in conjunction with each other, but it's really about, um, you know, for a lot of us, it's recognizing needs that we didn't even know that we had. You know, the spiritual needs. I had no idea. I didn't even know what that was, really. But I, I learned that it was just really about um, honoring who I was inside. It was about uh, listening to that voice inside of me that was my truth. It was about growth. It was about all of those kind of things. So um, it's really about um, it's really about reconnecting with ourselves, I think, um, and, and listening to what, you know, what 
our spirit, what our emotions, what our bodies are trying to tell us. Because I think so much about addiction is ignoring that and just shutting it down and, and just, you know, kind of getting, responding to the external world. Um, I always talk about that we, we live in two worlds. We live in the external world and we live in the internal world. And I, I think addiction is people get lost in the external world. And the external world is how much money we have, what we look like, how much we weigh, um, how much stuff we have, how big our house is, what our career is, other people's opinion. And we get lost in that. And really, we live in the internal world. So balance is about getting balanced with living in the external world, but really, we exist in the internal world. Does that make sense? 100%. And I want to remind our listening audience, if you came on late. I'm talking with Veronica Valley, who's the creator of Soberful Program. And she has an incredible um, opportunity for you to hear about the five pillars of sustainable sobriety. And that sobriety can apply to any type of addiction or, as you and I both know, Veronica, it's usually multiple addictions. And so she is talking Mm. about the five pillars and that's movement, connection, balance, process, and growth. And so can you share a little bit about process and what that means in terms of sobriety? So, yeah, process is that we have to understand why we feel the way we do. Our past will show up in our present every day for the rest of our lives unless we really understand where our behaviors, where our thoughts, where our feelings come from. And as you know, Carol, this stuff all goes back to childhood. And it's really about processing um, a lot of the limiting beliefs that we picked up from childhood. It's about processing the hurt. And sometimes in some cases, it's the trauma that people experienced in childhood. Because all of that shapes who we are as adults, no matter how old we are. So process, and it is, it's a, process is a journey. It's, it's about, it's very much peeling off the layers of the onion, and each layer makes you cry, <laughs> is that, um, you know, understanding, you know, for me it was about understanding my relationships with men. That went back to childhood abandonment. Um, it's understanding why I would feel angry about certain things and, and peeling that off and, and finding, you know, under the anger was actually fear. And, and, and it's, it's really, it's a journey into ourselves. I think it was Socrates said, a life lived unexamined is not a life worth living. And that's what process work is. We can't, you know, I, I'll have clients say, you know, like, oh, that's in the past. I don't want to dig that stuff up. But the thing is that stuff's being dug up every, any day anyway. And our past, we, you know, it, it, it can own our present. And it's about us taking back control of the direction of our life by understanding. A lot of the work that I do, process work, is around mindset. And it's about uncovering the subconscious programming, which, again, all came from childhood. So the subconscious mind is responsible for 95% of what happens in our lives. And our conscious mind, which feels very big, our conscious mind is our intellect and ration reason and all of that kind of stuff. That feels very big, but it's only 5%. The subconscious mind drives the bus. 
And unless we understand the programming, which all came from when we were young, we are not as in control of our lives as what we think we are. It's been fascinating for me to do that work with myself and to do it with my clients as I begin to really unpick a lot of belief systems, um, a lot of limiting beliefs that I just didn't even know I had, but were guiding all of my decisions and choices and actions and non-action and all of that kind of stuff. So that's why process mm-hmm. work is so important. So would you be willing to share one of the typical or limiting beliefs that many addicts have? Um, well, I would say one, two that are very, one that's very typical that's probably universal, universal is a belief system based on the idea that I'm not good enough. So what happens when we're young, we are taking in data all the time, data, 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 taking it in, and our brains are trying to process it and understand it and create meaning as quickly as possible because uh, it takes up a lot of energy. So what happens is we put this programming in our subconscious mind um, because then then our response becomes automatic. So, it, you know, it can be, uh, you know, it's certainly if you were uh, experienced any kind of abuse or trauma as a child, you are going, it, it, it's normal really to conclude from there that there's something wrong with me. I, I, I must, you know, I can't be, very, I'm not very good. I'm not good enough if X, Y, and Z happened to me. And then what happens is the brain just looks for things to reinforce that. I didn't get picked for the soccer team. I didn't get invited to so-and-so's birthday party. I flunked out of college. I messed up at work. All of those things just keep equaling, see, I'm not good enough. Or the brain is just looking for things to reinforce that belief. But we don't know that's happening at the time. We just think it's us, we're unlucky, whatever. Um, and deep down, it just keeps all the brain is doing is looking for evidence to support it. So when you really uncover that, and you can really kind of, it's quite easy when you begin to uncover it to see where it comes from and how we have come up with these very faulty beliefs. And then you need to reverse them, and then you need to begin to change them. And that's really, really where it gets really interesting. You know, I remember I was 15 years old, lying outside of a pub, covered in vomit with the landlord throwing a bucket of water over me, feeling dreadful. Uh, I was in blackout. And a couple of days later, I saw my friends at school, and they were like, oh, my God, that was such a crazy night out. That was so much fun. That was just so wild. You were so crazy. What a great night out. And my brain went, oh, okay, getting drunk, so you blackout, and lying outside in the gutter till you throw up. That equals a good night out. Right, great. Right, file that in in the filing system. Forget about it. And then I would say, I want to go out and have fun and and be crazy and party. And my brain would go, Okay, great. This is what you do. And and then we just we're just programmed to be, keep behaving in these ways. So um, I think the most common ones are, you know, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy of being loved. But also uh, we have really ingrained faulty beliefs around the, our relationship with alcohol. That that we think that you know it. Uh, it's the best way to have fun, excitement, belonging, connection, despite the evidence to the contrary. Interesting, because you're talking about alcohol, and one of the things I know as a sex addiction specialist is that when somebody becomes sober from drugs or alcohol, they're much more likely to increase their sexual acting out. It's Mm. almost as if that dopamine or that brain wants more dopamine, and figures out a way to get that. 
So I'm wondering, do you ever talk to the men and women on your platform about symptom substitution and dopamine substitution? Yeah, that's very common. Um, and, and again, this is and, and if we just stop drinking, we've still got all of these feelings and emotions that we don't know what to do with. And our brain is like a Google search engine. It's just looking for ways to change how we feel. So if we're not going to um, use our drug of choice, maybe that's alcohol, our brain will go to the next thing. Well, how can I change how I feel? So uh, often it's food and sugar but often sexual behavior as well. Very, very common. And then people find quite quickly that it, it just feels, it, it, this, it's the same negative feelings that alcohol used to bring. That's right. And certainly we know that addiction can feel like a moral um, problem, but ultimately it's a brain science issue. It is about the brain craving certain chemicals in any way they can get them. So I'm so happy that you shared that about, you know, looking for a high in all the wrong places. Now, Mm. I want to remind everybody, I'm talking to Veronica Valley, and she is the creator of the Soberful program. And you actually have the five pillars of sustainable sobriety. And now I want to find out about growth. That's the fifth pillar. Yeah, so growth is, um, growth is the universal law of life. Um, if you look around, you will see that it is true everywhere. We are either growing or we are dying. And you can see that in people, animals, plants, businesses, communities, everything. We have to grow. We are called to grow. Um, it's, it's just how we were designed. And when we get sober, we have the opportunity to grow. And the thing is with growth is it, it's scary and uncomfortable. We, we really, you know, it's, we can't avoid that. That's just part of the process. So, you know, we'll get sober and we'll do this work on ourselves and, and life will, will call us to grow in, in personally, professionally, in all kinds of different ways. And then we'll hit an upper limit. And an upper limit is, is simply just we've hit a limiting belief. That's when the ego kicks in and starts saying things like, oh, you can't do that, or that's not good enough, or um, that won't work out, or what are you thinking? And, and we get scared and we get uncomfortable and we talk ourselves out of whatever it is, this new thing we want to do. And we sort of backtrack a bit and then so the voice quietens down and, and then we feel comfortable again for about 15 minutes and then the voice calls us to grow. So we have to get through our upper limits. And, that, and that's just that really uncomfortable feeling when we are growing into a new chapter and we don't know what it looks like. You know, we, we've all experienced that. You know, if you think about the first job you started or the, your first day of college, every single human being wakes up on their first day of their new job or the first day of college going, oh, my God, I'm like, what if I can't do it? What if they say I can't, I'm not good enough? What, what if I'm a disaster? What if I messed up? Oh, my God, what, I shouldn't have done this. I, like, I don't think this is – you know, we all go through that. It's, that's just what an upper limit is. And then we – gets a bit better and then it gets easy and then it's normal and 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 you know eventually we get bored of the job and we graduate college or you know so it's human beings are designed to grow so growth is about learning the skills to get through those different upper limits to get through the fear and the uncomfortable feeling every time we get to a new life chapter and and really going forward into that chapter you know it's not about sometimes we'll fail sometimes we'll mess up but we know we can learn so much from those experiences 
I'm just celebrated 20 years sober, and I can't, you know, on when I was six months sober, I couldn't even imagine that I'd be here talking to you or writing a book or having, you know, 25,000 downloads on my podcast. So that, that would be inconceivable for me. But all of those things happened because I was called to grow and I listened to the voice and I went with it. And everybody has their own version of that. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that. Um, my husband has 25 years sobriety from alcohol and my sister has 30. And both of them are on the constant search to self-improve. And mm. you know, it's like there's a hunger inside of them to evolve and actualize their potential. And you know as a recovery coach that when people are actualizing their potential, they are really becoming the mm. best person ever. So i got a couple questions. Obviously, you just shared with us the five pillars of sustainable sobriety. And I want to remind everybody that I'm talking to Veronica Valley, and she has a soberful program. Um, her websites are Veronica Valley, and that's V-A-L-L-I dot com. And they can see find you on Instagram at Love Soberful. And you have a free Facebook group called Soberful. And you're the author of Why You Drink and How to Stop, Get Sober, and Get Free. Now, you've got this Soberful podcast. How can they find out about that? Um, the Soberful podcast is on iTunes and uh, Spotify and wherever you listen to your podcast. Or you can just go to Soberful.com and listen to it there. Okay. And you mentioned that in some ways your platform is for the person that may not feel like 12-step recovery fits. Or I, when I looked at this platform, I thought, boy, it's just another addition to um, the support one can access uh, from the 12-step program or from your program. But tell me a little bit about what you found for some people that it didn't feel like the 12-step program fit them. I, I, I just want to say I'm a massive fan of the 12-step program. That's how I got sober. Um, however, it's not the best fit for everybody. There's different, you know, routes to that. And, and one of the things I do encourage clients, in, you know, when we talk about connection is uh, to explore sober support groups. You know, AA is just one of them. There's uh, women for sobriety, there's smart recovery, there's refuge recovery, there's lots of different self-help support groups and they're a good place to start um, and get connection and, and meet people. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that there's just, you know, I'll call it synonymous, it tends to be people who are have really kind of got into a very dark and difficult place with alcohol and there's actually a, quite a big chunk of people who recognize that their drinking is a problem but don't really don't identify with a lot of the consequences that people in AA have had. Um, so just don't really feel that they fit there, but really want to be sober and really want some kind of structure to support them to do so. Got it. So you're a big fan of the 12-step program, but this mm. is another alternative to that. And it's so not even. Offered... It's not an alternative. It, 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 I really designed it purposely that it's an accompaniment to uh, a lot of the sober support programs as well. It, it's not. I mean, it can be an alternative, but you know, I absolutely think people should check out support groups and and you can be working the twelve step program or the women for sobriety program alongside the sober support program as well. 
Well, and, you know, that's initially what I said. When I looked at your program, I said, what a beautiful addition to the support you can get in recovery by by being a member of both. So mm-hmm. I want to ask you, um, as we begin to end and wrap up the show, what do you want people to know, first and foremost, about recovery and about themselves? Really, my mission is I want people to know that, that not drinking alcohol is an option. Like, I grew up in a culture where it was always assumed you were going to drink and get drunk in the same way that we assume kids are going to get a driving license. It's just something you do. And I really think we're doing young people a massive disservice where it's like, we, you know, we have an alcohol-saturated culture. And I, 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 we're beginning in the last few years to just see an alternative to that. It's, and, and really for me, it's about, you know, the cost-benefit analysis. If, if alcohol, you know, I, I would say to my clients, you can drink anytime you want. If you're okay with the cost, if you're prepared to pay the cost, and I'm not talking about money, I'm talking about, you know, the effect on your health and your mental health and uh, your relationships and your dignity and, and integrity. If you're prepared to pay the cost, go right ahead. But when we really look at the cost, it, it, it's you know, it's really worth it for to, to a lot of people who have a problem. So I, I really want to uh, our world to be where uh, being alcohol-free is just as legitimate an option as being gluten-free or being vegetarian. You know, I could go to anywhere and be gluten-free. Nobody would come up to me and say, go on, have a bread roll, have a bread roll, you'll be all right, which is ridic- you know, it was ridiculous. People wouldn't do that. However, if you're alcohol-free, people are like, what? I just think like you've got two heads or how do you have fun or go on, just have one. I want to create a world where we can, our kids can be alcohol free if they want to, because it's just a better lifestyle. And, And that's the big thing. I want people to see that actually the fun, excitement, belonging, connection, relaxing rewards that you get from not drinking are actually better than what you can get with alcohol. That makes a lot of sense, and that's, that is um, a very purposeful mission and one that I'm sure everybody can agree with. You know, Veronica, I thank you so much for uh, your time, for putting this thing together. I can feel it's growing by leaps and bounds. Um, I would love to talk to you about all the things you're doing. As we end for today, tell us about the new book that you're in the process of writing. Yeah, the new book, Soberful, is, it's really, uh, well, it examines our drinking culture. It examines a lot of the um, mummy needs wine drinking culture where alcohol is deliberately targeted at women and particularly mothers um, and, and kind of dismantles, dismantles the whole belief that alcohol is the best way to have fun and excitement and all of that kind of stuff. And then uh, most of the book is really about going into, in depth of, into the five pillars, what they are, how to apply them to your life, all of that kind of stuff. Well, thank you so much, and I just am so impressed with the work that you're doing, and especially for our population, um, sex addiction and partner betrayal. It's so important to know how to manage your life and find healthy coping skills, and you have broken it down into five pillars, and it's so understandable. I wish you continued success, and keep me posted of everything you're doing. Thank you so much. It was great to be on your show. Thank you. All right. Make it a good week. Bye-bye.
Bye-bye. So, again, that was Veronica Valley, who's the creator of the Soberful program. This woman has a podcast, and she's an author, and she runs groups, and she has a lot of program development for addiction, and um, people have been raving about her, so I thought I'd bring her on the show. Now, as I say, at all times, there will only be one of you at all times, so fearlessly have the courage to be yourself and think about those five pillars and what you might need to strengthen and whether you can use any of Valerie's. Can I say that again? What is it? I think it must be because her name's that. Um, uh, <laughs> Veronica Valley's work. All right. I'll talk to you later. It must be a long day for me. I don't know. Um, Thanks so much for tuning in, and we'll see you next week for more Sex Help with Carol, the coach. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.